Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go there in just a moment. And uh, I'm tempted to ask, but I don't know that I should. You know, you have these thoughts and you have to pray, Lord, is this of you or is this of the flesh? And I don't know which one this is, but we're just going to go with it. So, sorry, Lord. Um, I was curious. So out of our married couples represented today, uh, how many of you would say that your spouse or you have gone through a discussion about one of the things in the video, whether it be the laundry, the dishes, the toothpaste, the toilet paper, something? Raise your hand, okay? Okay. All right, put your hands down, put your hands down. How many of you would say you're the spouse? Let me finish the question now. You're the spouse that may have known that doing whatever it was, squeezing in the middle, toilet paper, whatever, you may have known it aggravated this, your, your husband or wife just a little bit, but you still did it anyway just to kind of get them a little bit. Anyone willing to confess to that? I see that hand over here. Hands, okay. You guys, this is church now. We've got to testify, okay. I like that because there have been times in, in my marriage where you know, you know, okay, this might bug her just a little bit, but you do it anyway. <laughs> like just, cause, cause you're like, you know, it's just like, Hey, this is real, right? Like this is just fun now at this point. Now when it's not fun is when you're like early on, when you're still like kind of, you got to get past a certain point before you can start really messing with each other and get away with it. Okay. So just so you know, like 10, apparently 10 years for us, like I found myself doing more things. I'm like, ah, this will just be funny. And it, it was funny. It was actually funny. So just pray about wisdom on that, how and where you use those things. I did see one thing where with the toilet paper thing, you know, it's always either, is it this way or is it that way? Is it under, or is it over? And I saw this thing where it was actually the toilet paper just sitting on the empty roll. Like, not on the roll, but just sitting there. And I think the caption was something like, I'm done, or something like, I don't even want to play anymore. Like, it's over, okay? That's just, that's just quitting is what that is, okay? You've got to endure to the end, okay? But this morning, we are continuing our series. We started last week, Relationship Goals. And we're looking at some goals that we can set for our marriages as followers of Christ uh, what are some goals that we can strive to achieve in our marriages? Uh, because as we said last week, sometimes we see other people's marriages. We see them on social media. We see them depicted before us, maybe with family and friends. And we think they've got it all figured out. We think they've got all the answers. We think, man, they just, you know, they just always seem to have it together. And we always start thinking, okay, so what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my marriage? What's wrong with us? Why can't we have that picture-perfect marriage? And we learned last week, right, that's not normal. That's not how it is. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage, okay? And that's okay because why? Because our goal is not perfection. That's not our goal in marriage. It's not to be perfect, right? It's to be healthy. And as followers of Christ, it's to be Christ-centered, Christ-focused in our marriages. And so some of the goals that we're talking about setting, and we're not saying these are the only goals that you can set, but we gave you four and we tackled one last week, but the goals that we're setting, that we want to set rather for our marriages, will be that they are Christ-centered. Christ-centered. We talked about that last week. I'll unpack that in just a second. Mission-driven. Mission-driven. Devil-beating. Okay? Devil-beating. Covenant-keeping. 
Now, we'll really talk about the covenant-keeping thing in a little bit here, but just be praying about that because I think sometimes marriage, for most of us, can go from a beautiful, wonderful, blessed covenant, and we kind of, like, downgrade that to this human, conditional contract. Like, it's just a, you do for me, I do for you, and if you don't do for me, I'm not doing for you. Rather than this beautiful covenant that we'll see in a few weeks that it could be. So last week we touched on Christ-centered, Christ-centered marriages as our goal. And we discovered that to have healthy and strong marriages as followers of Christ, we must set Christ as our number one, our number one focus, our number one priority. And we do not expect our spouses to meet all our needs because they can't. We realize that full joy and peace come from knowing Christ as my Savior and fixing my eyes on him. That to have a healthy and strong marriage as a follower of Christ, I fix my eyes on Christ as my number one priority, my number one goal, my number one uh, kind of my priority, if you will, my focus. My spouse is number two to that, okay? My, my Jesus is number one. My spouse is secondary to that. And what will happen is when I set my spouse secondary to Christ, now what will happen is I don't expect my, my spouse to fulfill all my deepest longings, desires, wants, and needs. I, I don't need that now because I have Jesus and he fulfills all that in me. My spouse is kind of just like icing on the cake, Okay? And she is pretty sweet, so that's a great illustration, okay? Not your, I don't know about your spouse. I'm not talking about your, I'm talking about my spouse, my wife, okay? She's really sweet, okay? But when you think about that, man, it's so amazing when we set our spouses free from that expectation, isn't it? I've said it for a long time, and I've heard this for years. If you want to crush your spouse, just put every expectation on them to fulfill all your needs. When you put that weight on them, it will crush them. It will crush them. But when you realize that Christ fulfills all that in us as followers of Christ, I don't need Sandra to be my everything. That's something we say, right? You're my everything. Man, save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headache and don't make your spouse your everything. Make Jesus your everything. What does Paul say? Christ, who is not a part of our life, but who is our life in Colossians. Christ isn't just a bullet point in a marriage system of seven things to make you happy. Christ is the center. He is the crux. He is the everything in our relationships. So Christ is our number one. I have OCD sometimes. Does anyone else have OCD? That was going to fall, and it was really scaring me. So I'm just fixing the mic here, okay? So just if you're wondering, what's, that, what's he doing? Why is he playing with that? For no other reason than it looked like it was going to fall, and I was getting a little anxious, okay? Okay. Um, Nobody else ever struggles with that, really? Like, I mean, I, I have issues like that. Sometimes, like, I saw that out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, first I thought someone did that on purpose to mess with me. Then I thought, no, that's just me being cynical. So, but anyway, when we have these Christ-centered marriages, that's just a little commercial in the sermon. When we have these Christ-centered marriages, we can free our spouse from the burden and weight and stress of performance-driven marriages. Now, hear me now. Some of us function in a performance-driven system. We expect all this stuff from our wife, and if they don't perform or fulfill or do to what we think, then we actually maybe subtly or even openly put that on them. But when you find everything in Christ, you free your spouse from having to always perform. 
from having always to jump through the hoops and always make sure. And here's the thing too. Some of that's not even spoken in our marriages. It's just things that we grew up like this. We grew up watching a mom and dad and that's, this is what mom did and this is what dad did. And we go into our marriages and we just duplicate that. And we don't even know we're doing it sometimes. And it's not all bad. Sometimes it's really good stuff. Okay. Now, let me just be clear for a minute. If you grew up in a marriage that wasn't your, your ideal marriage situation with your mom and your dad. Maybe there was strife and struggle and fighting and divorce and all these things that come into marriage. Then I understand that when you enter marriage, you're bringing in a whole different set of thinking, a whole different set of understanding. And so those aren't excuses, by the way. We can, by Christ's power, we can break free from that, okay? But understand, you might have to work a little bit harder in some areas because you're coming out of a, a thinking that isn't necessarily ideal, when I got married, I had a lot of misconceptions about marriage because I didn't grow up in a picture-perfect home. My dad left when I was like two. My mom was an alcoholic. My stepdad came in when I was about seven. He was a, a good guy. He provided for us, but he was a strict, strict man, disciplinarian like none other. So there was a lot of things I'm still trying to learn and grow as a dad and as a husband. And okay, I've got to be careful here. I've got to be careful there because some of these things that I don't even realize, it's just how I was raised. And people will say that, right? Oh, it's just how I was raised. It's just how I was raised. That, that can give you understanding, but it doesn't give you justification or an excuse. As a follower of Christ, I am free from that because I have Jesus Christ to set me free from all limitations, boundaries, and hindrances. I don't, I don't, I don't have to play the card of, well, you know, that's just how I am. No, 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 no. You can acknowledge this is what I battle with, and I'm growing through that, but praise God, he can get me through it. He can give me victory and strength over that. And so when you come into a marriage, you have different expectations. And so I can, if I can encourage any couples in here today, whether you've been married for 25, 30 years or five years, have conversations about these things. Talk about expectations. Hey, what do you expect from a husband? What do you expect from a wife? Like have these discussions so that you can work these things out before 10 years down the road, something hits ahead. And now there's all these unspoken expectations and there's this bitterness and there's this tension because we, don't, we didn't even realize what was going on there. When we set Christ as our number one, it sets us free to be all that God has for us to be. How do we do that? Well, first we make Christ our number one as Savior, but then we build a spiritual emphasis. We talked about this last week. Then how do we build a spiritual emphasis in our marriage? Gave you two things. They're not the only two things, but they're two ideas, two suggestions. Through prayer, praying with and for your spouse, and involvement in the local church. Praying with and for your spouse, and involvement in the local church church. And so I just want to throw it out there. You don't need to answer out loud. You don't need to raise your hands or anything like that. Okay. Don't elbow anybody. Don't raise other, someone else's hand. I saw that happen a little while ago. Somebody was raising their wife's hand. I'm not going to say who it was, but I was really surprised when I saw Steve do it. I was just like, wow, I can't believe he just threw her hand up there like that. But how's it going with that? We've had one week, by the way. So you've had one week. And if you're here and you're married and your, your spouse is a believer, have you, have you initiated that prayer time? Or, or, or have you sat back and said, I'll just wait for them to bring it up? Can I encourage you with something? I used to tell our students this all the time. Be the catalyst of change you want to see. If you wait for someone else to do it, it may never happen. But be the catalyst of change in your marriage that you want to see, the healthiness that you want to see. Don't just sit back and say, well, they really should bring it up. And if God is laying on your heart again, and your spouse is a believer, bring it up to them. Hey, can we maybe start doing that today? And again, it doesn't have to be long. What did I say? Keep it short, right? We don't need to call down fire from heaven. Okay, we, we ain't calling down the fire. Okay, we're just having some prayer time. 
Okay, it could be five, five minutes. It could be one minute. It could be 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out theological thing, right? Keep it consistent. Strive to do it every day, okay? And then if you miss one day, don't miss two. Just some simple goals in, in our prayer life for one another. Now, again, I said this last week. Let me just say it again for clarity. If you're here and your spouse is not a believer, your, your wife or your husband is not a follower of Christ, then going to them and saying, will you pray with me, will be really, really awkward for them potentially. And I understand that. They may not even be interested. That's fine. Then what you do is you still invite them into that relationship. You still invite them into that prayer time. If they're interested, great. You, you can lead in prayer and pray for them. And, but maybe pray for them if they're not interested. Spend time in prayer for them. And same thing with the church. If you have a spouse that isn't a believer, that's not interested in church or doing things at church, then you step up and say, well, I'm going to make it a priority to be involved in the local church because I need the strength, encouragement, support from the local church, and I'm called to serve the church. And so how are we doing with that? Just a quick little challenge. You've had one week. How are you doing with that? Have you initiated prayer time with your spouse? Have you, have you made church a priority where you said, hey, listen, I really want to make sure that we're involved as much as we can be? If you haven't done those things, then here's the beauty of grace and mercy. It's new every day, and you can start afresh today. If you haven't started yet, start today and just move forward. Don't worry about beating yourself up from the past. Learn from it and move on. So I want to look back at a verse that we read last week, but I want to kind of set the stage for this week as well, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. So we're looking into this goal for this week. It's we're mission-driven. We're mission-driven. Now that we're Christ-centered, now we can be mission-driven. Verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, help us to know you more today than we ever have before. I know how it is, Lord, with, with people, because I'm this way too. We just get going in the motion. We just go into the routine, and we just go to church because it's Sunday morning. I pray, Lord, that we would not do that today. Maybe there's somebody in this room right now that has made it to this point in the message, this point in the service, and they've still not really engaged you. They've not really opened up their heart and mind to you and to what you want to do in their life. They've made it through a time of worship and giving and prayer and, and fellowship and shaking of hands and all those things. And still, Lord, they're just kind of just here. I pray they would know that, that your grace is for them. That they should not feel bad about that, but make a decision and a choice to open up their hearts and minds to you right now. That you can speak to them. Father, for the ones here that are married, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. For those that have spouses that are unbelievers, I pray you'd give them comfort. And I know their heart breaks for their husband or their wife, but Lord, I know your heart breaks as well for those that don't know you. So I pray that they would find solace and grace and, and mercy in you, comfort. Father, for the ones here this morning that are not married, maybe they're in a relationship, a dating relationship with someone, maybe they're considering marriage, maybe they're still thinking about all that, maybe there's somebody here in a whole different place in life, They've gone through some things that weren't of their choosing and they find themselves now in a, in a place in life they never thought they'd be. I pray that your grace would be with those situations as well and that we would know that, that these things we're talking about are not just about for husbands and wives, but they're for individuals, for us as believers, as followers of Christ. We need to be Christ-centered as individuals 
before we're ever going to be Christ-centered in our marriages or in our relationships as a whole. So I pray that you'd give us wisdom in applying these things to where we are, whether it's relationships at work, relationships at home, whatever it is, Lord, would you be glorified as we understand this deeper by your grace and by the leading of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We spoke last week that God is the author of marriage. God is the author of marriage. That it is his idea. Okay? God is the one who said it's not good for man to be alone. But when you look at the passage here, it's interesting. After God creates woman from the side of man, and as I said last week, and I'll say it again, what a beautiful picture of the relationship of marriage. Uh, And I try to say this all the time when I read this passage because it's a good reminder to me, and I pray it's a good reminder to you. A woman was not made from the foot of man to be ruled over by him, like to be under his foot and just dominated. Woman was not made from the head of man to rule over him, but made from the side of man to walk with him in this life. Now, we know that when we get into more scripture and later on in the New Testament, we see that God calls the husbands to be the head of the home and to lead the home. But never misunderstand that. That is never meant to be where the man rules with an iron fist. That is never what it's intended to be. It's a Christ-like leading in the home. And so we understand that. But in this context, we see it's a relationship first, equal submission one to another. Then the husband can lead and the wife is then able to submit, not in an act of degradation or lesser importance, but in an act of submission to a Christ-like leadership. But we see this here, that God is the author of marriage, that it is his idea. But notice that Adam actually made the choice to receive Eve as his wife. Adam actually agrees with God that it's not good for him to be alone and makes the choice to receive Eve. You notice this in verse 23. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That word naked, again, we've said this before, in the Hebrew, it does mean literally without clothing, without covering. But in the Hebrew, it's also meant to imply vulnerability, transparency. So think about this. They're completely exposed, is the idea. They're completely exposed to one another. They're vulnerable to one another. And what does it say? And they're not ashamed. They're not fearful of the other person taking advantage of them. They're not fearful or feeling like they need to cover up because they're too exposed. Chapter 3, we read about sin entering in. What happens when they become knowledgeable of sin? Right? They disobey God's law, God's command. They eat of the fruits. Then it says they notice they were naked and tried to cover themselves because that innocence was taken away. Now it's no longer I'm vulnerable and exposed to you completely and freely because I trust you. Now it's, no, I'm fearful that you're going to take advantage of me. I'm fearful that you're going to misuse me or mistreat me. I just don't trust anymore. That we're, It's broken, this relationship. And it's an amazing picture of what marriage was supposed to be and what sin has done to marriage. Your husband and your wife, as as a husband and wife rather, you're meant to be vulnerable before one another, exposed before one another, open. You want to have a healthy marriage? Feel free to say anything to your spouse without being judged or condemned. And that's what marriage is meant to be in Christ. That I could go to Sandra and I can lay bare anything and I have a heart of confidence that I know she will not judge or condemn me that she will receive that and say, okay, and this is where I'm at. And that's what marriage, that's the goal of oneness in a marriage. 
You see, God doesn't command Adam and Eve. He doesn't make them. It's Adam who agrees with God and says, yes, I receive Eve as my wife, and we are now one. God brought her to him, and Adam declared they were one flesh. God joined them together because they chose to be joined together. We too, in marriage, are united to one another, to another person. We're united together in a wonderful covenant of marriage. We join in union for the rest of our lives to this person. This is the whole point of various unity ceremonies at weddings. Why do we do unity ceremonies? Because it's showing two becoming one. Now, I will say this. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. And unity ceremonies always give me the most anxiety. Just being real. I was at one wedding where uh, apparently these candles were brand new. And I've never noticed this before. I've never known this, okay? And apparently you're supposed to pre-light or trim the candle wick thing. I'm a guy. My knowledge of candles is pretty low, okay? I don't know a lot about candles. We're at this wedding. During the ceremony, the couple comes to the table. That's so cute. Everyone's just saw, just, ah. Music is playing. They take their little candles. They smile at each other. And they try to light the candle. Guess what happens after like about five seconds? No, it's not lighting. The wick is just sitting there. It's not lighting. It's not lighting. It's not lighting. I'm standing off to the side. It's not lighting. This is a long time. This is awkward. So the couple's looking at me like, what do we do? Do we just keep trying or what? I said, it's okay. Just go back to your spot. It's okay. Just go back. I'm not kidding you. Like 25, 30 seconds of trying to light this candle. It would not light. Another unity ceremony. They're not here, so I can say this, okay? The husband loves farming. The wife loves coffee. So we're at this chapel, wood everywhere, wood platform, wood table, wood everywhere. Very old chapel. And they decide, hey, this would be cute, cool, and this would be cute. We'll take a jar of, like, grain or seeds, and we'll take a jar of coffee beans and we'll do like the pouring, you know, and it'll layer it, and it'll be really cool. So they get a funnel, and they put a funnel in the jar, and they're pouring, and they're pouring, and they're pouring, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, this is really kind of cool, you know? And all of a sudden, they decide to, after they're done filling, to pull the funnel out. But guess what was still in the funnel? A whole lot of coffee beans. No joke, the entire funnel is full of coffee beans that had not dropped down in there because it was too full. When they pulled that funnel off, Coffee beans go everywhere. Do you know what the sound of coffee bean makes on a wooden platform in a silent chapel where no one is talking? It was insane how loud it was. And they're looking at me, and the bride's trying to catch them, they're rolling off the table, and the husband's just laughing and like, oh, this is hilarious. Look at this. And Go back. Go back. I go back. I'm like kicking the coffee beans out of the way so no one dies. Okay, that ceremony, as much anxiety as it gives me at times when I do weddings, and so if I ever do a wedding for you and you're like, hey, can we do a unity thing? Yes, okay. (laughs) But I've learned some things. I've learned a few tricks, okay. The whole point of that is what? That two become one. That's a beautiful part of the ceremony. It really, really is. As much as I joke about it, it really, really is amazing to see that happen. 
And so as two become one, and we understand this idea of unity, how does this affect our mission? Remember, we're talking about being Christ-centered first and mission-driven in our marriages. And so as we understand this idea of unity, it directly affects our understanding of our mission. And so as one, husband and wife, as one, we can focus on the mission we have been given. But again, if you're here and you're not married or in a whole different place of life, you have the same mission. You have a mission given to you as well. And so whether it's an individual or together as one, we understand we have this mission to accomplish that we've been given. So our foundation as a mission-driven marriage, our foundation, okay, as a mission-driven marriage, it's not happiness, it's unity. So I encourage you to jot that down if you're taking notes. Our foundation as a mission-driven marriage, it's not happiness, it's unity, okay? And I'm telling you, if we as couples, if we as individuals can understand this going into marriage, it will drastically affect how we view marriage. And to be honest, how long we last in the marriage, if I'm being real this morning. See, we are united with each other before God. We acknowledge that we make the choice who we will marry. However, we will say that we are united in God. Why? We choose who we will marry. I can't blame God if I made a bad choice, okay? That's why God gives us tons of principles in his words for the woman and the men that we should be considering for marriage. That I make the choice. But when I make the choice to join in marriage, because God instituted marriage, God is the author of marriage, we are joined together under God's authority. So we say we're united to each other in God, but it's our choice who we marry. And so as that's kind of playing out, we become one. So again, understand, it is still true that it is God who gave us marriage and God who, I believe, does the work of making us one flesh. However, this still requires effort on our part to be submitted to Christ as he continues to unite us together in marriage. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, you don't need to turn there, but it says this, and I thought this was interesting. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, I'll give you a little background here. Amos is one of those little tiny books in the back of the Old Testament. We call him a minor prophet. He is a prophet, and he's speaking a lot about judgment and things like this, but he's using these little parables and illustrations in his writing to establish his prophecy of judgment coming upon the people of God for their disobedience. It is in this vein that he uses an illustration that we can get, glean the principle of in our context of marriage. In Amos 3.3, 3, he says, can two walk together? The word together in the original Hebrew meant unitedly. Unitedly. So they're walking united. They're one and one. They're, they're together on this thing. I like the way the pulpit commentary explains this verse. It says this, the two in Amos 3.3 3, are God's judgment and the prophet's word. The God's judgment and the prophet's word. These do not coincide by mere chance. So remember, Amos is speaking about judgment coming, but he's using this as an illustration. God's judgment and my word that God has given me, the prophet's word, are together. They're in unison. They're united. Okay, they're one. And he's explaining that because he's giving proof or validity to his words. And the commentary says this, these do not coincide by mere chance. 
No more than two persons pursue in company the same end without previous agreement. These two, these two things that are together, in Amos it's prophecy, his word of prophecy, and God's judgment, in marriage it's husband and wife. These two do not coincide by mere chance. No more than two persons pursue in company the same end without previous agreement. If both individuals are not agreed upon the direction and the goal of their marriage, if they are not united, there will be bitterness and strife when one tries to pull the other in their certain direction. There will be many moments of compromise in marriage, no doubt. But we must always make sure we are listening to one another. There's always going to be compromise, but man, we got to listen to one another. The key is to agree with the destination of our marriages as being healthy and Christ-like, staying on mission for his glory. As a, as a husband and wife, there has to be an agreement. Okay, this is where we want our marriage to go. Yeah, along the way, we're going to make lots of compromises. We're going to make lots of decisions. You know, the husband may feel a certain way this way. The wife may feel a certain way that way. That's, I mean, we can give in and, you know, give and take a little bit. When it comes to, as followers of Christ, the goal of our marriage is, what's the destination of this thing? Imagine getting on an airplane, and the pilot and the co-pilot get on the radio. And the pilot says, I want to go to Toronto. And the co-pilot gets on and says, I want to go to Miami. Okay, where's the plane going to end up if they don't come to an agreement? Nowhere. They may never even leave the ground until they agree. They're just, here it is, stagnant. They're stuck. They're just complacent. They're just there. And my concern is so many Christian marriages are just there. They're just, I mean, they're ready. They're amped up. They're fueled up. They're ready to go. They're on the tarmac. They're ready to take off. But because there's this disagreement about where we're going, they never really go anywhere. And let that go for a little while. And guess what starts to happen? Why can't I, you're just, you, you're, the, you're the problem. You just don't listen to me. You don't understand what I'm doing. And this bitterness comes in. And again, we go back to the beginning of marriage. That's not what God intended. So we set the goal for our marriage. We are going to be healthy, Christ-like marriages. And we're going to stay mission-driven. We have a mission to accomplish here. You have a job as a spouse to do all that you can do to prepare your spouse to stand before Christ one day. My job as a husband is to do all that I can do to make sure that when Sandra stays before, stands before Christ one day, I've done all that I can do to help her be ready for that day, to love her and encourage her with the word of God and pray for her, pray with her, lead her as best I can by God's grace. And she has an obligation to do the same for me because that's where we're going to end up one day, right? Uh, one day, by the way, this doesn't just mean marriage. We're all going to stand before him one day. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account, the Bible says. Now, if you're in Christ, it's not your salvation you're giving an account for. That's done. It is finished. It is in the cross. But as a follower of Christ, the Bible says you will give an account for this life. And so I want to, I want to, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about tomorrow when I'm in marriage necessarily. I'm thinking, what's the big picture here? Man, what am I really called to here? And again, if you're here and you have a husband or a wife that isn't a believer, then your goal in that is still to do all that you can do to help them be ready for that day. 
to lead them, to share Christ with them. But here's the thing, and you got to get this. Some of us struggle with this. You can't make anyone do anything. I mean, you can lead and lead and lead and lead and lead and initiate and initiate and initiate, and the person starts to make a choice. And so what's the goal of our marriage? What's the point of this whole thing? Is it merely happiness, which is circumstantial, or is it understanding we're united on a common goal, a common direction? Let me ask you a question. This is for your own personal reflection. What is an area of division in your marriage right now? What is an area of division in your marriage right now? What's the thing that you just can't seem to, you're just kind of like this? Well, let me ask you, how could you resolve that with God's grace and God's wisdom? You might say, well, how do I get God's wisdom? It's amazing. He wrote this book. And he says, man, I want to talk to you. I want to communicate with you. And in this book, we're going to find some principles for living and for life and to be more like Christ. And as we apply those things to our lives, we find his wisdom. He, he directs us and guides us in these things. Now, I'm not saying the scriptures give out every single black and white do and don't. I'm not saying that. I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a 401k, right? It's not in there. You're gonna tell me the verse, should I get a 401k or not? Second Opinions 3.6 says, right? No, it's not in there. So what do we do then? We approach this as, as the gift of God that he communicated to us to say, here's some principles. Here's some things to, to put into place so that when you come up against those decisions you need to make that aren't spelled out in Scripture, you've got a base of wisdom, a foundation. Okay, God, I believe this is what you want me to do because of these other principles here. So what's the goal of our marriage? What's the goal of your marriage? What, what issue of division do you see right now in your marriage? And what could you do by God's grace and wisdom to resolve that? You see, we need to understand that we need to be one. We need to be united because that's where we are with each other in Christ. But the truth is what God unites, others seek to divide. What God unites, others seek to divide. We live in a world that is quick to divide. If things get too tough or not going the way we want, we just quit. To be honest, we have made giving up on marriage way too easy. Now, I believe this is easier because we have changed dating in our culture over the last probably 50 years. Now, I'm not trying to be just stuck in the mud, no fun guy, but I want you to hear, I heard this years ago and I thought it was so wise. Dating right now in our culture, starting as high schoolers all the way through your young 20s, which by the way, we've seen over the last so many years, the, the, the average age of marriage is getting to be upwards around like 28 to 30. Now, some of you that have been married for a long, long time, you, you were married when you were maybe 18, 19, even 20 years old. Okay, that was maybe more commonplace back then. Now it's getting to be 28, 29, 30. A lot of things come into play with this. Uh, education, careers, different desires and goals. There's nothing wrong with getting married later in life. But the point is, as that's gone to be 28, 29, 30, these people that are getting to be 17, 18, and 19 and up are still dating. They're still having relationships. And what we've changed in our culture now and what the normal is of the last maybe even 30, 40 years is now dating is basically marriage without the paper. Everything that used to be reserved for marriage, you can now freely do without any guilt in our culture in dating. I'm just going to be real. The Bible's pretty clear. Sex is reserved for marriage. 
It's not one of those, ah, really, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an opinion. No, it's scripture. Sex is reserved for marriage in the union, the unity of marriage. But in our culture today, we've taken that out of marriage. And now people are having 10, 12, 15 serious dating relationships involving emotional commitments and sexual relationships before they're married. And what happens when you're dating somebody and you just don't get along after six months to a year and you've given yourself emotionally and intimately and all these bonds have been made and then you just realize we're just dating anyway so I don't like you anymore so we're just gonna break up. And then I'll date someone else and do all the same things and then break up. And then date someone else and do all the same things and break up. And then I get married one day. And all of a sudden, a year, two years, three years goes by. And I don't really like this person anymore. We just don't get along anymore. We don't really communicate like we used to. It's just not like what I thought it was going to be. And because I've conditioned myself that anytime it gets too hard, I just break up because there's no difference between this marriage and all the other dating relationships I've had, we'll just break up. And so it's as though we've conditioned ourselves. We've conditioned this generation that when things get too hard, just quit. Because really, the only difference between dating and marriage is just a piece of paper anyway. And I'm telling you, if we don't start living a different example and lovingly and graciously encouraging people with the truth of what marriage is meant to be, we will not see this cycle broken. Now, you can't control anyone else. But we can set examples. We can teach people what marriage is really meant to be. Now, saying all that, I want to say this. Every situation is not the same. And maybe you are here and went through something that you had no control over. You didn't look forward to it. You didn't initiate it. You were merely just involved in the process. You wanted to make it work, but it just didn't happen. You did everything you could, but it just didn't work out. You need to know that no one is condemning you. No one is looking down on you. Maybe you made a choice that you wish you could change. You look back and you say, man, I wish I could have done that differently. Well, here's the truth. We just talked about this on Tuesday night. You can't go back. It's in the past. And as I said Tuesday night, unless you know somebody that has a flux capacitor, you're not going back. That's a Back to the Future joke. It's a movie in the 80s. It was a really good movie. You should watch it sometime. Okay. We can't change the past. So what do we do from this moment forward? We say, no, God, I'm going to be committed to you through Christ, Christ-centered, and I'm going to strive forward. Maybe, listen, I explained a little bit of my story. My family growing up, we put the fun in dysfunctional. If you can imagine it, I've probably seen it in my family. But when I came into a marriage as a follower of Christ, I just decided, and I said, God, this is... I mean, we got to make this thing work. And so we strive for that. So maybe you made decisions. Maybe decisions were made for you. Maybe you were just kind of a victim of circumstance. You tried. You did all that you could do, but you can't make someone make a choice. And now you find yourself in this situation. Then you move forward and say, God, by your grace, then if I get married again, if this happens, if this, if that, man, give me wisdom to learn from the past and to move forward for your glory. No one should ever feel like a second-class citizen in his heaven because we all need grace. We've all sinned. We've all done something that God is not pleased with. That's the beauty of grace. 
But understand me now, just because one situation or a situation for you meant this, it does not change what God calls us to. We have to understand that. We can't, we can't change God's word. So we need to move forward. In our world today, other people, media, the enemy, Satan, who is real and is actually an enemy, all want us to think that the grass is greener on the other side. That we should just break it off because we can move, have more fun not being tied down. Well, you don't get it, but my husband doesn't get me anymore. He doesn't really listen to me. My wife doesn't really get me anymore. She doesn't really understand me. Man, but, but look, there's this guy over here. Man, he gets me. This woman at work over here, she gets me. We can talk. I'm telling you right now, the grass is not greener on the other side. All you will find is heartache and pain. And I heard this years ago, and I thought it was great. If you think the grass is greener on the other side, it just means it's time to water your grass. If you think the grass is greener on the other side, you just need to water your grass. Don't believe the lie. Don't give up all that God has blessed you with in your marriage and in your family for the one thing you think you're missing out on that you might get somewhere else, but you won't. You'll just get heartache. Now, again, you can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you, if we're striving for unity, one flesh, we have to endeavor to say, by God's grace, I won't believe the lie. I'm going to trust that God has something in this. I love talking to couples that have been married for 50 40, 50 years. Um, Brenda was just telling me, who was it that was married for six? Yes, her aunt and uncle were married for 72 years. Still going, going, yeah. Well, I don't know how far they're going, but I mean, they're going, okay? (laughs) Sorry. That was not of the Lord. There was no debate on that one. God just humbled me right there and said, really? Ah, why do you do that? Okay, 72 years. Man, I love talking to couples that have been married for a long time, 40 plus years. Just out of curiosity, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I want to do this. How many of y'all have been married for 40 years? You've been married for 40 years plus. 40 years plus, raise your hand. Amen. Back there, amen over here. Anyone 45 years plus, okay? Amen. Awesome, right here. Anyone over 50 years married? I don't think you guys were there yet. No. Okay. Maggie's like, no, we are not there yet. Okay. (laughs) Too young for that. No. Man, praise God. I love talking to couples. I talked to one couple that was married for, they recently, when I talked to them, had celebrated like 50 years. I think they're over 60 now. 60 years married. And I've shared this before, but I love this. I said, tell me how you did it. Like, how in the world did you do that? And they looked at me, and he kind of got quiet. And she kind of looked at me, and she said, you know, years like 22 to like 34 weren't very good. She said, they just were really rough. It was hard. But you know what? We made a commitment to say we're not going to quit. And then they said this, 34, whatever, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was something like that. It was like a 10-year span. They said from that point to now, man, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Now, did all their problems go away? All their conflicts? They agreed on everything the first time out the gate? 
no way. Okay? When we're united to someone, when we're united to someone, we don't lose our individuality. Okay? We're not uniform. We're united. There's unity. Two completely different human beings, likes, interests, all these things, stay as they are. They're still their individual selves, but God miraculously joins them together as one flesh and then continues to grow that through marriage. And you might say, well, man, I, we're, I don't feel like my husband and I, my wife and I are one flesh. Keep striving in Christ and he will continue to grow that. That's the beauty of it. We, we talk about growing in intimacy. We talk about growing in communication. We talk about growing in trust. Why don't we talk about growing in Christ as a couple? And that's a big part of our relationship. And again, if your husband or your wife is not a follower of Christ, I understand you feel like, well, what, what can I do? Then you get connected to Christ and you grow in Christ and you, just, and you just fall on your face before him and you just desire him above all things. And I'm telling you, God will do a great work in and through your life. We are, we're out of time. I don't have time to get into the next two things here and I don't want to rush through them. So what we'll do is we'll kind of save that for next week. But here's what I want to do. I really want us to spend just some time this morning praying for our marriages. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then you need to know Christ first and foremost before anything else. And maybe you would come and just say, Lord, I'm going to ask you to be my Savior. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. If you don't know Christ, that's number one. But if you're here and you know Christ and you're married, maybe you would say, Lord, thank you for uniting us together. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. We made the choice to get married, but thank you for being the authority over that, for drawing us together and uniting us together. And I pray that we would grow in that unity, that we'd continually become one in Christ. Are you Christ-centered, or is that the foundation? And if you are Christ-centered, he's your number one. Maybe you would come and pray, husband and wife, or maybe if you're here and your spouse isn't here, or, or in a different class, or maybe serving somewhere or something, maybe you'd come and bend a knee and say, I want my marriage, I want our marriage to be Christ-centered, to be mission-driven. Because listen, we've got to be united as one in our marriages before we ever go out and do what God has called us to do. Because we'll get into it next week. The picture that God has given the world for his love for them that Paul references in Ephesians is marriage. In Christian marriage, we see what is meant to be the greatest display of God's love for the world. By the way, that's also true of us as individuals. Do you know what the greatest testimony of the love of God for the world is? Our love for one another. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree. It doesn't mean we're always going get, to get along, whatever that looks like, best friends, but we can love one another. We can pray for one another. So whether you're married, single, in a different situation of life, wherever you are, how is God speaking to you to say, man, I need to be united either with my husband or my wife, but if I don't have that right now, I'm not in that relationship yet, then man, let me be united to Christ. Let me be drawn into a deeper relationship with him. Because I'm telling you, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, if I can just get married, then I'll be content. If I can just get to that point, then everything will be fine. Okay? It's not going to happen. If you're not content in Christ without a spouse or without the career or without the raise or without the money or without the success or without the car or without the kids, if you're not content in Christ because you're in Christ and that is all, then you will never be content, truly content with all the stuff. It's just, it's just truth. 
And so let's get united to Christ, number one. We're joined close to him in Christ, in his blood, death, burial, and resurrection. And then from that, the fruit of being one with our spouse will grow. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. As you bow your heads right there where you are, again, I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know what's going on in in your heart and mind. And I know that some of the things we talked about this morning could be harsh to hear. For some, maybe it's even borderline offensive. But I pray that you would know my heart is not to offend. It's not to... It's not to, to, to push you away, but it's hopefully to, to allow us to see the truth that we'd be drawn closer to Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a young person and nobody's looking around, no one's looking around, they're all praying with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you're a young person, and I mean a young person like a teenager or even junior high, then I just ask you to, to use great wisdom in your relationships. Uh, listen, so many teenagers will, will give in and will compromise themselves physically, will make decisions to get intimate with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend because they think that's what's expected. They think that's just what you're supposed to do. But let me just encourage you that that is not what God has for you. And any joy or pleasure you believe will come from that experience will quickly be outweighed by the emotional damage, by the destruction that it could cause. So my encouragement to young people here today is to make a commitment to say, I'm going to be pure before God so that one day when I stand before my husband or my wife, I can tell them that I was pure before them. I saved myself for them. Maybe there's somebody here, a young person or even an adult, maybe older, meaning in their 20s, 30s, or even older, that made a decision to compromise, made a decision to give in. They look back now and they think, well, now when I get married, I'm damaged goods. Lord, I pray that they would know that's not true. That they can trust in you and lean on you and you can make them new. Father, I pray in all these things you'd give us great wisdom. I pray that as husbands and wives that we would strive to be Christ-centered, united with Christ and united with each other to the glory of God. And whatever that looks like, Lord, I pray you would do a great work. I pray you'd lead God and direct. And I pray that as couples, as individuals, we would look to you for all things as you lead God and direct. Father, we ask that in all these things that you would be glorified that you would lead, guide, and direct and speak into our hearts. Father, may you guide us and open our hearts and minds to all that you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation? Maybe you'd come and pray. Husband and wife, maybe as an individual, you want to come and pray. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him as he has initiated in our lives this morning?